as we were singing that last song, toward the end of it, the Lord gave me this very short vision that we were here in this room, but there was this, it's as though the room was filled not with water, but you could call it presence, um, glory, anointing, whatever term would suit you. We were standing in it, and it it was, I don't want to say flowing in and out, but just as in a swimming pool, the water was just gently moving around. That's what was happening, but it was His presence. And as you are aware this has happened, um, you know, these times of quietness and stillness before the Lord, they've been more frequent. And it's because we're at a place spiritually to where God can move at times like that. Not every church could experience this because in many cases they just would not understand what's happening. And there are people who would come here and not understand what's happening. That's where we come in. Is explaining to them what's going on. Those of you what I, as I was standing here, those of you who are teaching classes, it is absolutely imperative that you explain to the kids the age is irrelevant. It's very important to understand this. The age is irrelevant. Explain to those in your class what's happening in times like this. They need to know and they need to understand so that they too can receive what God's doing. Um, those of you, the, the teachers, do not be so... What's the right word, Lord? Do not be so tied to the lesson you've prepared, that times like this become something of a disappointment because you work so hard to prepare your lesson. What's happening in times like this? God is doing more in those who would be in your class listening to your lesson than what you could ever do. The same thing for those of us who have prepared a message, 
we're planning to stand behind the pulpit and deliver that message, we absolutely must be prepared to save that message for a later date and let God move. Part of what he was sharing with me as I was standing here, what it seemed like he was sharing to me is that this, this in part, is preparation for the upcoming conference. And um, one of the things he impressed upon me is to communicate with those who will be coming in who may be speaking during the services and to let them know, be prepared. Be prepared for the possibility of not one sermon being ministered the entire conference. We were just seeing a song titled The Shadow of Your Wings. And in it we were talking about being in the shadow of His wings. And as I was thinking about that while standing here, you know, the Lord basically was ministering to me and sharing, that's where you are now. During this time of, call it the silence before God, that's where you are. You're in the shadow of my wings. It's the most protected place we could be spiritually. And it's at these times when we are able to receive from Him, whether we know it or not, but what we're choosing to do on the inside makes the difference. Lord, I open up to receive from you. There are people who will be coming to the conference who have possibly never experienced anything like this. One of the things we need to do is to pray that everyone will be open to receive during a time like this, even if they don't fully understand, even if they may think that nothing's happening or that we're missing God, when in reality we're not. And it's during times like this where the waiting, we're receiving whether we know it or not because of how we are reverencing His presence. When these times happen, at first, it can seem like the seconds are minutes. It can seem like it's just, what's going on? Well, it happened this past Sunday night, and I thought possibly 15 minutes had passed, and the Lord spoke to me and said, more time has passed than you know. So when I came up here and I looked, I, real, I realized, when I, especially when I checked the computer, you know, it had been just a little over 30 minutes. Now, I didn't realize that. 
it can get to the place to where we become more spiritually in tune with Him than ever before. And the time will pass and we will not realize how much time in the natural has passed. But yet, there will be a refreshing, a development in the Spirit. There will be some that... um, This is part... What's the right way to say this? This is something that can drive some people away. Because they may not think the time is being well spent. Yeah, we can teach. But more importantly is for us to receive. I cannot put into words the value of these stillness times. I can't. It's something that we have to embrace and understand that God is moving. A lot of people would define a move of God as being a lot of activity in the natural. If I send out an email to people on the mailing list and let them know, be praying because I already know that God is going to move in our upcoming conference. Some people may reply back, how is He going to move? And then some people may show up anticipating a lot of signs and wonders and so forth. And then if none of that happens, feel like maybe that I missed God saying that He was going to move or feel like, well, nothing really happened, when in reality, God is working in us because He wants us to be vessels into which He can pour a greater outpouring, a greater amount of His glory and anointing. And it requires us to be at a place spiritually to handle it. And that's what's going on. Um, If there's a way that I could make everybody focus on Him during times like that, I would do it. Because I know that every one of us were at different levels of our walk with God. And some still aren't fully understanding what's happening during those quiet times. It's not simply a matter of God is here and we need to respect His holiness. It's a, it is a time of spiritual interaction with Him that generally is void of all emotion whatsoever. Meaning, I don't feel goosebumps. I don't feel excitement. I don't feel a, 
a wave of joy or peace or whatever. It's just simply a matter of being there, of being in His presence. And obviously, at times like this, when, you know, like on a Wednesday night, the teachers have worked, flexibility is so important. Not just as far as I have a lesson to teach, but it's a matter of, Father, you do what you want, and I will be able, by your help, to abbreviate the lesson that I had planned. But again, for all the teachers, I would urge you to seek God and have a lesson for your age group and explain to them what's happening, what's going on. If you remember the story of Samuel, he was there essentially in what we might call the parsonage or the house attached to the, the church. And he heard the voice of God, but he thought it was Eli calling him. And, and at first, Eli didn't understand, but then finally, Eli caught on it and understood, God is calling unto Samuel. And Eli said, the next time you hear that voice, you say, hear my Lord, hear my, speak, your servant is hearing. And that's where, as teachers, it's extremely important to let these kids know, whatever the age is, this is a time when God is ministering to you. And one of the most important things that you can do is just say, God, I'm here. I'm willing to listen to you and receive from you. No matter what the age. If the child can talk, teach them how to say this. It is that important. Because you're training them to submit to the presence of God and to receive from Him during that time. For those of us who are adults, even though we may not feel anything, when a service is over that, that has this in it, there should be a measure of what's Not an emotional excitement, but a spiritual excitement that does not demand emotions to express itself. Knowing something happened to me tonight. God touched my life tonight. And a declaration, Father, whatever you did, may it bear the fruit of your intentions. For me as a pastor, one of the most, and I think maybe I've shared this before, but one of the most challenging things is to really understand how to flow with God during times like this. And any pastor who's going to be 100% honest would say the same thing because you don't want to miss God. And you 
definitely don't want to interrupt what he's doing. And so at times like this, one of the things I'm doing is I'm asking, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And even when I do what I believe he's wanting me to do, I'm still wondering, am I really doing the right thing here at this moment? Because I know what he's, I know what he's doing in you, but I don't know what he's doing in you. He is doing something in all of us at times like this. And what I, what I'm sensing from him is that these times that have taken place, it is training and preparation for what is coming. I don't know the fullness of what that means. But I do know this. I'm looking forward to it. I don't know. We can all come up with ideas about, well, how, this is how it's going to happen you know, in the days to come. And maybe we'll be right. I just know this. When the 120 were in the upper room, all they knew was Terry. That was it. All they knew was Terry. Jesus had told them, you'll be endued with power. But all they knew was Terry. Scripture does not record that he told them, there will be the sound of a rushing mighty wind. There will be cloven tongues like as of fire. The first manifestation of um, this power from within you will be speaking in tongues. They didn't have that kind of a checklist. They just knew to Terry. That's what they did, and we know what happened. It's the same kind of thing for us. We are to come together as a congregation, not simply for the purpose of being obedient to God's Word, where He says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. But we are to come here for this continued move of His Spirit and what He's doing in us, whether we have these times of stillness or not, we, even if we do not feel an eagerness to be here, then by faith, we need to be here because of what is happening. All the people, Jesus appeared to over 500 people at one time, after his resurrection, the grand total of people he appeared to may have been 600, 800, 1,000 between the time of his resurrection and the time of the day of Pentecost. We really don't know for sure. But I do know this. Only the 120 had that day of Pentecost experience. They were the only ones. Now, it's very probable that all the others he appeared to at some point in time were filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. But what happened on that day of Pentecost, it only happened to the people who made a decision by faith to be obedient and to tarry. And then the outpouring came. And I I feel very confident in saying that out of all the others who could have been there and weren't, a lot of them regretted the decision they made to do something else. 
I don't want to be a person who lives in regret because I missed a move of God when I could have been there. I don't know everything that God is doing. I don't know what's going to happen this coming Sunday. I know I'll be ready. I know I'll have a message. But I don't know everything that's going to happen. But I do know this. We continue pressing in, and one of the keys is the, is the worship. It's an absolute key. We have to all be flexible as far as what happens in the services. We have to just come in here and, and just, Lord, here we are. Going to worship you, and whatever you do, that's okay. That's okay. Praise God. I do encourage you all, when you think about it, or if you want to add it to your prayer list, but that is to be praying about the conference. I'm at the point now for myself, I do not need a lot of action to confirm whether or not I've been in a good service. Things are so different now from the way the conferences used to be. And what's happened tonight, it kind of flows in with um, what I want to share. Uh, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. There was a a church. Well, in fact, it was the uh, the first church where I was pastoring. Before I was there, I, I don't know at what point in time this happened, but there was a service where that presence of God settled in the room. Everybody was quiet. And at one point, it was about maybe, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes into that, there was a man in the service. And uh, I guess he stood up and said, well, is anybody going to do anything or what? A person born again, as far as I know, he was spirit-filled, but yet he was not at a place spiritually to really understand what was happening. And so therefore, it, I don't know what he did after the service, but it's possible that when it was over and he was talking to his friends, he was maybe critical of what had happened because he didn't understand well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And he makes a statement, um, verse 4, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Christ Jesus, that in everything you are enriched by Him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things we know about this is, is that Paul is making a reference, at least in part, if not in total, to the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. And he begins addressing that in chapter 12. 
So the gifts were in operation. That we know. However, something else was, uh, was going on. And if you look in chapter 4, in chapter 4, verse 18, he says, Now some are puffed up, or prideful, as though I would not come to you, but I will come to you shortly, if the Lord will, and will know, not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. And what that tells us is that even though the gifts were in operation, there was not a regular flow of anointing and power through people in that church. They were dependent upon the gifts, and they had come to the place of believing, well, this is it. I mean, we, we have arrived, because the gifts are in operation. And the Apostle Paul was saying, no, you're puffed up by thinking that. Now, I'll show up, and when I do, then um, those of you that are bragging about the gifts in operation, I'm going to want to see a demonstration of consistent power. This is where we're headed. Beyond just the gifts. We're headed to a place where, where there will be a consistent demonstration of power. One of the things that has to happen is we cannot become puffed up concerning where we are. In fact, and this may sound so counterproductive, but for some people, it would probably be best at this point in their lives if no gifts were in operation through them at all. Because of the pride factor. We're headed in this direction of wanting to see the consistent flow. Minus the gifts. In other words, when we come together, we don't base the success of a service on a manifestation of gifts, but we base the success of the service on following the flow and the leading of the Holy Spirit, regardless of what that means. Regardless. That will, will for, from some people, that would result in criticism. Just like the man who did not understand, why isn't anybody doing anything? People are just sitting here. There were people in that room who are enjoying that fellowship time with God. This man was not. Even though he was there. He wasn't enjoying it. He didn't understand. And so there was a type of criticism. He was criticizing that. Why isn't anybody doing anything? In other words, nothing is happening in this church. What's the problem? Well, likewise... Too many Christians are focusing on the gifts, those who believe in them. So when we get to this place to where, yeah, there's power. There's a flow of power. And then people ask, well, how many folks got healed in your service? Well, I don't know. Well, didn't you have a prayer line? 
I mean, you're, you're saying there's power. How was it demonstrated? What we have to do is get to that place to where we do not allow that kind of criticism to impact our belief concerning God is moving. And that can be difficult because in, in the body of Christ today, there is so much emphasis on a demonstration. I remember years ago, many years ago, when I first started in ministry, it meant so much to me to pray for people and then the people to fall out in the Spirit. You know, we call it slain in the Spirit, falling out under the power, whatever. I mean, that meant a lot to me because I saw that as some type of badge of affirmation concerning my ministry. Well, thank God I grew beyond that. Because now, I'll pray for people, and if you fall, you better be sure it's God. Because I'm not going to push you. I'll lay hands, but I'm not going to try to manufacture a demonstration to impress people. And because of that, we could have a prayer line of 50, 60 people, and I minister, and nobody falls down, and some folks could leave thinking he doesn't have an anointing. Well, an anointing isn't based upon how many people fall down. I remember talking to a preacher one time who had been in, um, I don't know how many of Pastor Dave Roberson's services, where he would minister and people would fall. And granted, some of those people, they probably were giving him a courtesy fall. Well, Pastor Dave's praying, so you're supposed to fall. Not everybody. Well, then I'm talking to a preacher who had been in some of those services, and he had been in another person's service, in another church. And he was telling me about it. He says, man, there people were laying down all over the place. He said, I thought Pastor Dave Roberson had an anointing, but this guy was incredible. Yeah, I didn't say anything, but just because people are on the floor, I was in a service one time, and there was a preacher, and he used to do what folks referred to as the Bible wipe. And what he would do, he'd, he'd call you out, and then he would like take his Bible like this, and just rub it on your face and push on you. And, uh, I mean, he did that to me, and you kind of lose your balance, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, I went down, and I admit it was probably partially a courtesy fall, but at the same time, you know, he kind of pushing on you. Um, you know, if that's what God tells somebody to do, I want you to open your Bible and put it on them. I mean, Jesus did spit, remember? But then to take it beyond that and be pushing on people, okay? The Holy Ghost doesn't need help. He needs our cooperation, but He doesn't need our help. And uh, there will be criticism from people who are looking for an outward demonstration as opposed to a flow of power. And you say, well, what is a flow of power? If you read the four Gospels, and then you continue to read on into Acts, 
one of the things you're going to find out is that Jesus didn't heal everybody. But he did heal the people who went to him for healing. You understand that? So there were a lot of people who did not get healed, even though Jesus may have been 20 yards away. Because if they didn't go to him, they didn't receive from him. You understand what I'm saying? And in some cases, somebody went to him on behalf of another person. I understand that. Now, as we prepare for the outpouring, we have to be prepared for this type of criticism. And not try, not get, not get pulled into trying to defend what's happening. Because some people are going to believe what they want to believe. If you look back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 7 again, he says, So that you come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But then in verse 11 he says, For it hath been, well in fact in verse 10, I beseech you brethren by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. And then he begins describing a little bit about those contentions and the division. You get over to chapter 3 and he talks more about it. What it comes down to is um, all these different teachings. Everybody had their own revelation. Their own... Um, and I've had this happen to me over the years. People come to me, has God given you any new revelation? God given you any new revelation? It's like, well, you know what? I'm still <laughs> working on living by the old revelation. You know, I, at this point, I really don't know how much new revelation. And the truth is, it's not so much about new revelation as it is a deeper understanding of what has been revealed. And what I'm getting to at this is signs and wonders, healings, miracles, and so forth do not validate doctrine. Absolutely not. Because you'll have Christians who will say what we teach in our church is the truth because there are healings and there are, well, Praise God for all of that. And I, I mean that sincerely. There were healings in the Old Testament. There were miracles in the Old Testament. Nobody back then was born again. You cannot allow yourself to get caught up. And, and I'm telling you now, this, this can be a battle. Getting caught up and thinking, okay God, you know, they're over there preaching this stuff and I'm, I'm being told that you know, they've got you know, demonstrations and the gifts are in operation. And yet, here we are. And I know that some of what they're teaching over there is not true. And here we are. You can start questioning God. I know that for myself, over the years, I've had to cast those imaginations down. Because what I know is, prayer, fasting, worship, and the Word works. No matter what I see on the outside. It's working. Something is happening.
I do not want to circumvent the spiritual development just for the sake of seeing something on the outside. Does that make sense? I want the spiritual development. In fact, look over in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. And in verse 38, it says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So everybody that came to Jesus, whether the sickness or affliction or um, the, the maiming, I mean, whether it was a result of an attack of the devil or just something in the natural, the bottom line is everybody who went to him was healed. And it says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power. Well, a simple question would be, what was it about Jesus that was anointed? Was it his flesh or his spirit? Well, obviously the answer is, it was his spirit. That's the same part of us that is anointed, that God anoints. It is our spirit, not our flesh. It is our spirit, not our emotions. It is our spirit. And, and so we may be, we, you know, born again. Filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, here we are, we have God's life in us. But it's out of our spirit that we see the gifts in operation. That we see the flow of power that Paul spoke of. It's out of our spirit. And this is one of the reasons why, like these times of stillness before God, are so very valuable. Because there is a spiritual something happening during those times between our spirit and God. He, we are interacting with Him, even if we don't feel it. It's why the worship is so very important. Because He inhabits the worship. He inhabits our praises. He is here. And He's ministering to us. And as we continue to open our hearts more and more and, and, and worship Him and just keep pressing in like that, it is going to, if you will, open a door for Him wider and wider so that He can move in these services and move in us. And that's what we're after. We have to be sensitive to Him because it's not going to be like that every single service. But we have to be ready and willing to receive from Him because that anointing is going to be on a spiritual level. Years ago, I had this vision of, um, of ministering to people for healing. You know, the Bible talks about Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Jesus made the statement... Um, you know, I don't do these things on my, on my own. You know, it's the Father in me. He doeth the works. So here we are, born again, filled with the Holy Spirit. We're believing for anointing and all this. And in this vision, you know, I'm, I'm praying for somebody. You know, you lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. So I'm praying for somebody. And what I saw was uh, my hand was like a glove. And Jesus' hand was in mine. 
And so I'm laying my hand on this person for their healing. So his hand in mine was on them. The problem was there was too much flesh between them and his hand. It was my flesh. And so therefore, he was trying. And I was too. But there was too much flesh involved. Not sin. Just too much unmortified me that was hindering that flow. And so, the more that we press in is the more that this flesh glove gets thinner and thinner and thinner to the point to where there's no hindrance. I don't know if you've ever poured um, a fluid into a styrofoam cup. And you know, you can drink from that cup and everything's fine. But if you pour the fluid into that styrofoam cup, set it on the counter and just leave it there with all that fluid in it, water, coffee, tea, doesn't matter, a fluid. Come back, say the next day, or maybe the day after, and here's what you're going to see. Little beads of that fluid forming on that styrofoam cup because the water molecules are starting to pass through that styrofoam to the outside. And eventually what will happen is all the fluid will leak out of the styrofoam right out of that cup, and yet you can't see a hole. But it's leaking out. Okay, there are times when that anointing leaks out. Do you understand the imagery? The flesh, though, needs to be so thin that there's a flow. That there is a flow. That's, where, that's what this anointing will produce. And it's the kind of a flow that manifests itself in the same way it did with Jesus. Jesus said, if you believe in me, the works I do, you shall do also. And one of those works has to do with that flow of power. When, when, it's just amazing to me, here's a blind man, and Jesus asks him, you've been calling for me and saying, Son of David, have mercy. What is it you want from me? What do you want? And the man was blind. And the man said, well, I want to receive my sight. And Jesus said, okay. Just he could do whatever, whenever, based on the need. And obviously the faith of the individual as well, but it was there for him. And here we have, he, he could minister and release that anointing. And it produced healing. I mean, think about it. He's walking through this massive crowd of people, and how many people in that crowd had some sort of a physical something but there was one lady who had a faith to say, if I can just touch his clothing, I'll be healed. She touches him from behind and he stops and he says, who touched me? Because power has gone out from me. Now we read that and think, wow, that's incredible. That is an example of where we can be. One of the hardest things for us, though, is to say, I accept that. I do not fully understand it. 
But I accept the fact that if I continue to press into God, the day can come when somebody can come behind me and just touch my shirt. And I will feel the power of God flowing out of me to that person to bring about their healing. I know that sounds far-fetched in the natural. It does. But yet, Jesus came to be our example. That anointing is upon our spirit to flow out of that flesh, out of us. This is what we're pressing into. Where does the criticism come in? It's when you have other Christians going to tell you you're just wasting your time. The fasting, all it does is make you hungry. You will be criticized. You need to understand this. You will be criticized. I don't know why you have to spend so much time in prayer. What's it doing for you? I pray. And this is where you have to be strong in the Lord and in your faith to, to not turn away from what works. Look over in John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And um, pick it up in verse 18. Jesus said, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep, keep yours as well. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. We read this and think in terms of strictly, verse 19, the world. But you also need to understand, this is speaking of within the body of Christ as well. There will be persecution, and there is persecution within the body of Christ even now. In fact, it was like the closer that Jesus got to totally fulfilling God's will on earth, it, meaning the crucifixion and then the resurrection, but the closer that he got, you know, the more he was betrayed. We want to think in terms of, well, just Judas. But no, it wasn't just Judas. It was every single religious leader that rose up in opposition to him. And he even reminded them one time. He said, look, I'm doing all of this. I'm teaching all of this. You guys need to go back and search the scriptures because they point you to me. Now, he made that explicitly clear to them. They were the ones who should have been his biggest supporters. They were the ones who should have said, the Messiah is here. And some of them knew that. Nicodemus, for example, being a Pharisee, I mean, he understood this. But, Jesus was betrayed by the people who should have known and should have understood and should have under, uh, uh, supported him. They should have been leading the Jewish people to Jesus but instead they were telling them, stay away from this guy. He's of the devil. He cast out demons by Satan himself. He's a blasphemer. You know, in... Um, turn to Second Samuel. 
chapter 20. 2 Samuel chapter 20. See, we are going to have to be prepared to overcome a whole lot of heartache. The heartache that comes from being betrayed. People who tell you they love you, but then basically come against you. Jesus' own brothers came against him. They did not believe in who he was. And so in that respect, they betrayed him. Regardless of everything they heard about Jesus as they were growing up, no matter how much Mary and Joseph told them, they still did not believe and they betrayed Jesus. In, in 2 Samuel, look at chapter 1. And there happened to be there a man of Belial, whose name was Sheba, the son of Bichri, a Benjamite. And he blew a trumpet and said, We have no part in David, neither have we inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel. Now right there, we've got a problem. Because David was anointed by God to be the next king. You know the story. Samuel showed up, anointed David. And now we see David in this place of ascending to the throne. Well, verse 2, So every man of Israel went up from after David and followed Sheba, the son of Bichri. But the men of Judah cleaved unto their king from Jordan even to Jerusalem. And David came to his house at Jerusalem, and the king took the ten women, his concubines, whom he had left to keep the house, and put them in ward and fed them, but went not in unto them. So they were shut up unto the day of their death, living in widowhood. Then said the king to Amasa, Assemble me the men of Judah within three days, and be thou there present, or be thou here present. So Amasa went to assemble the men of Judah, but he tarried longer than the set time which he had appointed him. And David said to Abishai, Now shall Sheba the son of Bichri do us more harm than did Absalom, Take thou thy Lord's servants and pursue after him, lest he get him fenced cities and escape us. And there went out after him Joab's men and the Carathites and the Pelathites and all the mighty men, and they went out of Jerusalem to pursue after Sheba, the son of Bichri. And when they were at the great stone which is in Gibeon, Amasa went before them, and Joab's garment that he had put on was girded unto him, and upon it a girdle with a sword fastened upon his loins, in the sheath thereof, and as he went forth, it fell out. And Joab said to Amasa, Art thou in health, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard with the right hand to kiss him. But Amasa took no heed to the sword that was in Joab's hand. So he smote him therewith in the fifth rib, and shed out his bowels to the ground, and struck him not again, and he died. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, pursued after Sheba, the son of Bichri. So what's happened was this. You know, he takes him by the beard, and this was a custom back then, to kiss him, to give him a kiss on the cheek, a greeting. And he says, how is it with you? Are you in good health? As though I'm your friend. And I'm here just, you know, how are you doing? Good to see you. And he takes him by the beard, and he leans in as though he's going to give him that kiss of friendship, but he pulls out his, it's called a sword there, but don't think in terms of, this, of a big long sword, more like a long dagger. And he plunges it in and twists it 
and pulls it back out, and when he did, the man's insides began to come out. It was gross. If you keep reading, you know, he was lying there on the ground, and, and people are walking by looking at him. Um, I mean, it, anyway, that man was betrayed. He thought this is an act of friendship, and he died in the process. I ask you, does that sound familiar? Remember what Judas did? He approached Jesus and he said, he already told the others, the one I kiss, he's the one. And so Judas went to Jesus and gave him a kiss. And in Scripture, Jesus at one point, he looked and he says, Judas, you're going to betray you know, the Son of God, the Son of Man, with a kiss? Now, for us, we need to understand we keep pressing in like this. People we trust. I don't know, it could be one person, I don't know how many. But you need to understand the Judas kiss is coming. And it's going to hurt. And you may feel like giving up, getting angry. Why should I go on? I can't believe they did this to me. I trusted them, I loved them. I mean, that's my mom, or that's my, my brother, that, that's my cousin, that's my best friend, that's my husband, whatever, I don't know. Do you remember what happened with David? How that Saul was tormented by a spirit, and David would play the music, and that spirit would depart. And do you remember what happened with David? How that the armies of Israel were being challenged by the Philistines and Goliath. Goliath said, look, you just send one person out here to fight me. Just one person. And if that person wins, we'll be your slaves. And if not, if I win, you'll be our slaves. And every day he came out and did that. I defy you, I defy your God. And then David shows up. And he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? In other words, David was saying, he has no covenant with God. And we do. And if all of you would just look, you'd realize you've got the sign of that covenant in your flesh. Well, Saul said, you know, David, I don't think you can do this. Let me give you my armor. Well, Saul was a big guy. David put on the armor and he said, this isn't going to work. He takes the armor off. He goes down and gets five smooth stones, goes out to the battlefield, and Goliath, he takes it as an insult but you know the story. David killed him. One stone, boom, right between the eyes. Then David picks up Goliath's sword and cuts off his head and holds his head up. You know, look who won. All these things that David did, and then what happened? Saul turned on him and tried to kill him. Saul tried to kill him. There is a message in that. Saul's will always betray David's as the David's are rising up in the will of God. And every single one of us, we have a Saul in our life. You know, we have a, we have a Joab in our life. There's a Judas in our life somewhere. And we may not know it yet. But as we keep pressing into God, keep pressing into God, 
And His presence becomes stronger and His move becomes more intense and He is using each of us in greater fashion. Somebody is going to speak out against you. Someone might say, well, that's a terrible confession to make, but it's the pattern throughout Scripture. And we have to come to that place of realizing that number one, our security, our sufficiency Our self-image, our worthiness, everything is based totally and completely on our relationship with God, regardless of what other people do. But then along with that, we also need to understand there is a family that cares about us. And for those of us here, that family's in this place. Everybody else may turn on you But those of us who are walking this path, we're not going to turn on you. Oh, there may be times of correction and instruction. I get that. But we're not going to turn on you. We will be there. We will support you, even if nobody else does. This is all a part of preparing for this outpouring. You know, we talk a lot about being prepared for the outpouring, and we, we only seem to think of all the good things. Wow, we're going to need a bigger building and so forth. Good things. But there's this other side too. And we have to be prepared for it. Think of it this way. Part of Jesus, um, what what you might call His training with Father God, included the preparation for this kind of stuff to happen. And He continued to go forward. Continued to go forward. He delivers a powerful message and people walk away from Him. And then He looks at the twelve. Would you go too? No, you have the words of life. We'll stay with you. All these things He did for people. I just wondered how many people were yelling that day, crucify Him, when they or, or somebody they know had been healed by Jesus. And yet there they were, yelling. How many people, when Jesus was on trial, I mean... Did he see, I mean, there was Peter, we know, but was there anybody else there that he could see that he knew had been in some of his meetings? We absolutely must be prepared for the other side of of the outpouring, and that is the people who just don't understand and don't seem to want to understand. That's one of the, the things that I have in... Uh, as far as the, the apostles were concerned, I mean, really, even Judas to a point there, they didn't turn their back. They didn't understand everything, but they stayed with Jesus. I know Judas betrayed him, but he stayed with him. And God used him. He was one of the two by two that went out. God is moving, He's working in us, He is preparing us in ways that we do not fully understand. But it's all on a spiritual level, getting us ready for how He wants to use us. And I say, Father, let it be so. Work in us, do Your will. You know, work in us to will and do of Your good pleasure. May we be fully prepared for everything associated with this outpouring and revival. Glory to God.